This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. Hi, I'm Paul. And we're going to talk about Sand Kings, a 1979 uh, novelette by George R.R. R. Martin. And uh, Scott, you suddenly picked this out of the ether <laughs> out of the ether out of the yeah. ether um <laughs> no, and i'd read it before my, i liked it how did you pick this one story. well it's one of my favorite stories this is probably the fourth or fifth time i've read it um george r, r. martin before a song of ice and fire wrote excellent short fiction mm-hmm. um he's got a two volume set out uh, called dream songs that collects most of it Mm-hmm. But uh, this is one of his best stories. Uh, I love. How did? How is this one of your like? It's a very good. It's a well-written story. But how is it one of your favorite stories? What does that say about you? Well, <laughs> come on, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, I mean, this is no, a I mean, pretty brutal you know, when story. You, when you say something's you know your favorite story, I mean, there's just something about it that strikes me. But I think so. It's this. This one is you know it, it hits you differently than something that's uh, more contemplative or something like that. Oh this yes, is, I this agree. is like watching uh, something play out on a on a screen um it's a it's a mixture of horror and science fiction um so he's you know genre mixing there mm-hmm. um i don't know just since the first time i read it i just it just hit me i just really loved it it's thought it was excellent creepy. yeah it is super creepy paul have you uh, read this before i i'd read it a long while ago i'd seen i'd seen the outer limits ad- adaptation 20 some odd years ago I had not really thought much about this story till Scott said, well, let's do a podcast on Sand Kings. Like, okay, it's been a long while since I've thought about Sand Kings, so I will give it a shot again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I'm, I, I do think that Scott has a point. Before George R. R. Martin turned into a Song of Ice and Fire guy, he, and before he was Beauty and the Beast guy even, he did write a lot of interesting fiction of, short to medium length um this is not my favorite george R. R. martin story i'm um much more uh oh, actually but this is probably pretty high on there i mean i mean i like other stories set in the same universe like the tub voyaging stories for example which yeah, are also those. which are also set in this very loose it's not very very tightly defined world that Thousand he sets up worlds it's called on ah, thank isfdb you. yeah so so which one which one is your favorite is it um, set in here the tough voyaging yeah oh okay oh yeah the tough voyaging stories are really excellent and that's t-u-f not t-o-u-h right yeah yeah because because have a interesting character wandering around with his little trading vessel and doing things and getting into trouble and it felt it felt uh kind of like um jack vancey um to me you know this yeah, universe a, a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, i really liked the the magic shop uh trope. yeah yeah well, that's something that i don't get tired of um he had planned to write several of these um that woe and shade mm-hmm. was going to be a franchise that kind of throughout the universe 
and uh, the stories were going to be about the protagonists, but he never did continue. And I got this information from that Dream Songs book. He just mentioned it in there. Yeah, I, I think I spotted it on Wikipedia entry. You know, I I hadn't uh, read this for probably about twenty years. I I think I read it in the real uh, the real stuff the. Um, Mm. audiobook anthology of um, short stories and novelettes and novellas that were turned into film and TV shows. This is back when not everything was adapted to a TV show or a movie. Um, a great collection, and it was it was one of the standout stories, uh, not so much with the adaptation, but mm. uh, I, I, I had forgotten the, you know, the details of it. I, I was like, I sort of had merged the 1995 TV movie adaptation with Oops. the story, so I was surprised. Like I was like at the beginning, it's like, oh yeah, it's not even set on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's it's a much better short story or novelette than it is a, a adapted thing. Not that the other one's terrible. It's just it's not. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of the show. Um, you know, they they changed it so much. They you know? did change it. Isn't that typical things? You know, but in um, they traded you know one trope for another. You know, the mm-hmm. to me charming uh, magic shop mm. trope to the military. Uh, you know, X Files style. Yeah. Trope. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was surprised. I did not even remember or make the connection that the actual person who actually adapted the story for that Outer Limits TV show is the science fiction writer Melinda Snodgrass. It's like. Mm. Well, which her name came up in the credits, like, oh, I I didn't know she did this. It's how interesting. I mean, I mean, given given the nature of the Outer Limits TV show and its strictures, you couldn't really have that as a magic shop on another planet. Yeah. So uh, she had she had to make choices to make it fit the Outer Limits verse. And were were they the best choices? I don't know. That it's certainly a very different beast than what the uh, actual story is set on another planet rich guy with more money than sense buy something and things go horribly wrong that's really the core of this core of the story a very facile way of putting it but it's yeah. it's really in the little details it's like about playing god and how how you how you treat pets there's all sorts of themes you yeah. can pull out of this yeah, yeah, and I think that the TV show missed those themes. It, it, it turned well, into they, they a kind something. of a family issues thing. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, was, yeah. It was all family issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, have, have, having 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 Bo Bridges' father play his father was <laughs> was effective from a family drama point of view, but it's stuff that's never not actually anywhere near this actual original story. I think there it's, was another Bridges on there too. Maybe the kid was a family member. It was it was like a family of Bridges. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, there were pretty. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, there was more bridges than in Portland. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of bridges. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I, I'd merged the two in my head, and so when I when I got to uh, like on halfway through the story, I'm like, I think I think I I think I know how this is going to end, which is funny because of course I I should know. I read this summary, but I was I was like, I'm pretty sure I know who Shade is. But halfway through, um, just because you know, it's a great, it's a great name. Woe and shade, right? Shade is the yeah. one who's never seen, and woe could be spelt W O E. Although I have a yeah, feeling it's not sure. spelt that way in the text. 
Yeah, um, you don't go into a place called Woe and Shade and buy something. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's like uh, what was it in Salem's Lot? Like Staker, Staker, and uh, somebody. But it is like you know, just right there in the name is the, the warning. Yeah, it also felt like Gremlins. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Gremlins felt like it was it was working this same magic shop uh, trope. I think so too. Yeah. Um, very, very nicely as well. I mean, in fact, Gremlins is kind of this story, isn't it? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. It's it's perfectly good as long this. as you don't yeah. abuse them, and then if you do abuse <laughs> them, uh, well, still, you know, yeah, were were they good? I don't know. Um, one other thing that George R. R. Martin says in his introduction here is uh, he got the idea. The germ of the idea was um, from he knew a guy who had piranhas. And for the delight of his guests, he would drop goldfish in it. Right. In the tank, you know, to let people watch and be shredded, you know. And, um, yeah, there's just something about that that's really off-putting. And, um, yeah, just like in this story, you know, I was really put off by Simon Cress <laughs> the whole time. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, in the story, I think he's meant to be a very unsympathetic Mm. protagonist almost a villain protagonist in some way he, he's doing horrible things to these sand kings and pushing and egging them on and he's going to get it in the end whereas the TV show adaptation of this I felt sorry for the Simon Cross I mean he gets I mean one of them gets loose he gets fired from his job he decides to steal some Martian soil and grow, grow, grow them on its own because he wants an old part. So it becomes pushing away his family and mm-hmm. it becomes a, a story of obsession and uh, internal conflict versus comeuppets. I mean, I, 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 I mean, Simon, Simon at the end of the TV show sacrificed himself to try and kill the dang things. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. the, Simon here is, I mean, it has one of the best endings of the story, I have to read this. I know it's a little early to read the ending of the story. No, please do. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. He struggled, but it was useless. Small as they were, each of them had four arms, and Crest had only two. They carried him toward the house. It was a sad, shabby house built of crumbling sand, but the door was quite large and dark, and it breathed. That was terrible. It was not the thing that set Simon Crest to screaming. He screamed because of the others, the little orange children who came crawling out of the castle and watched him passively as he passed. All of them had his face. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh my god, you, you really hit the hard note in that last. Oh man, yeah. par- paragraph there, Mister Martin. Well done. <clears throat> Absolutely horrifying. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's me every time. It, it's interesting to to do that comparison between the adaptation and and this because it, this isn't the Frankenstein story, right? It is something not completely different from it, but the other one is is even more frankensteinian right it's he in the in the when he opens the barn and you know has them install the giant terrarium right he he stands above it saying let there be light (laughs) (laughs) um he's constantly you know sort of echoing these these uh, i am god your creator Mm -hmm. um and we have that in this story as well but it it it's yeah, one of the uh, one of the things that really piqued his interest was the fact that he would be worshipped. Right. You know, in the story. Yeah, it's it's expressly given as a uh, as a selling point by Woe and Shade that 
Yeah, he's going to be worshipped. He's going to be worshipped by these things. And that's for sure. And, and as soon as it's installed in his house, he's like, "When can I turn on the hologram? Right. You know, so that they can see my face. And when will my face be on the castle? You know, this is what he was interested in. I I want to point out um, that there's another story that I think inspires this one. I don't know. I don't know that George R. R. Martin had it in the back of his mind, but um, it's certainly feels like he could have um it's one of my favorites i know scott you know the one i mean it's called microscopic uh microcosmic god uh, yeah sturgeon sturgeon, yeah. Theodore yeah. sturgeon Theodore right? sturgeon. which has a very similar setup there's a terrarium kind of um he's a mad scientist as in as in the the tv adaptation um but and he and he's cruel he's a cruel god right to the Neoterics, I think they're called in the original uh, Sturgeon story, and he uses their their powers not to have them war with each other, but rather to develop technologies so that he can copy them, right? And he says, "Oh, that's a very interesting technology you've just made for me," and then he patents them, right, and makes lots of money that way and uses them to enhance his own reputation. So. Mm-hmm. It's it's di- interesting to see how a story can go a different way, and this one, it, I mean, our main character in the in the novelette doesn't have a job, right? He's just a, a he's a businessman. Some you know, every now and then it says he had to you know, um, call make phone calls for business purposes. Yeah, he just rakes you know, in so, money, is what he does, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rich idiot with no day job, and yeah. and and spends his money buying exotic pets to. Uh, basically uses his his amusements, right? One of the reasons we know he's a bad dude is the shambler is abused, right? Mm. This poor... Yeah. I don't even know what the shambler is. These kittens <laughs> or something, but um, yeah. it's some sort of furry beast, right? I assume. Yeah. And, and then how he, uh, how he leaves his pets right. uh, without anyone to care for them while he's gone on right. trips. Yeah. And, and his friends, right, are all fellow wealthy socialites who spend all their time gambling and yeah. on cru- you know cruelty and the, those who aren't are just on the border of that so that when they get eaten we're not happy about it but we're not that sad either <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's a little bit of poe there isn't there you know oh, yes. uh, inviting people over for a party and Mm-hmm. Bad things happen. <laughs> for the love <laughs> of God. For the love a, of God. A mask of the Red Death, indeed. Yeah, did that you? Too. Did you? Uh, I think we talked about Martin before. Did you say at one point, Scott, or maybe you, it was you, Paul, um, that he grew up really poor? I, maybe I heard that somewhere. Yeah, that's. I don't know on that. I thought that, that was the case. I, I thought I could feel that in here, sort of just. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I um. I mean, he grew he grew up just across the street from where I grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey. I don't. Um, I mean, Bayonne is not exactly the richest part of New Jersey, mm-hmm. so it's not exactly a high class area to look, grow up in. Whether he's um, what was he actually poor? Poor? I don't know. I don't know about Martin's biography. I just know from the neighborhoods in the area he grew up in it was not exactly a wealthy neighborhood. So that's all I know. Yeah, mm. I, I really like his story. His story as an author, you know how he 
he was going to world cons and things. You know, he was a fan and started to write fan fiction or fiction for fanzines, not really fan fiction. Um, and then he just grew and grew and grew, and now he's Song of Ice and Fire guy. Yeah, it says you know? uh, here, some website says, grew up poor in the federal housing projects of Bayonne, New Jersey. Aha, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I, I, I thought I could feel it in here. Um, mm-hmm. Just like when you go over to, like when I was a kid and you go over to somebody else's house and they have every G.I. Joe that's ever been made or every, you know, they have the Millennium Falcon uh, toy. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> I remember and, that. Too. And Han Solo and Greedo and <clears throat> R2-D2. And, and all of you, you've got is like one one of those. And it's like, yeah. oh, how can people live in such luxury? <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, we call, at the time, I think they called it, you know, being spoiled or spoiling your children. Um, I think there's something to that <laughs> in this story anyways, right? He's spoiled. And the effect it has uh, is, you know, justice at the end of the story, we kind of think. The cruelty that he puts out comes back to him in a kind of uh, biblical sense or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I, could, I could feel that sort of working. Like, it's a mm. kind of um, a horror. Yeah, right? definitely. Because it's... A, yeah. what's, what's curious to me is the ending... What is? Where's Woe? Woe says I'm coming. <laughs> did Woe come, or did Woe just hang up the phone and says, "Yeah, we got another one." <laughs> or what? <laughs> right. maybe, yeah. maybe maybe if we had more Warren Shade stories, we could actually answer that question. For maybe. sure, for sure. I think that's an open thread right there. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it it's like Woe seems to be just trying to give good advice the whole time like there's there is no um you know, malice there i i don't feel any malice there but mm-hmm. we could assume I mean, I mean, that there was some I, I, I guess I, I mean he does he does uh criticize simon is like so w- what were you thinking making these guys war on each other and evolving them and now they're going to evolve into something you can't we can't predict and you're an idiot sort of thing mm-hmm. so it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel like the classic you know devil temptation like you're tricked in and ha 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 it does it does feel i think you're right jesse is like what was saying well you shouldn't have done that you idiot we told you not to do it and you did it anyway yeah well without even the insults so what was very polite right yeah in in a way yeah. that would that would seem like i assume the woe family because they're on other planets too right the woe family is like some human or something like a human that grew up uh, in the shadow of the shade, right? Which is some maw somewhere on some planet, maybe on the planet uh, that we're on. What's it called, Balder? Right? No. Uh, uh, it's, oh yeah, cities Asgard. The planet's Balder. Right. So it, it it's when when the, we get the reflection of the workers were the ones who set it up our 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 mobiles. Um, mm. It's this is you can live in harmony with these these creatures right i think is the idea because i don't get the sense that woe is the slave of of uh a sand king i'm uh, i uh, here's here's the problem scott you picked a, sc- mm-hmm. a story that seems to be all on the surface 
<laughs> and when yeah, Jesse yeah. reads the story that's all on the surface, his mind goes crazy because he's like, what does it all mean? And like, no, Jesse, it's all on the surface there. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, it, it is a classic story, but it's also very interesting because it's totally science fiction, but there's no not much science in it, right? This is very yeah, uh, I, I agree, like I agree. Very, yeah, Mm-hmm. And it's not even like sociology, or it's also it's it's sort of uh, it, it, it's it's horror in a science fictional setting, yeah. which is I, exactly I, right. yeah. I, I mean, which is something. I mean, going back to Vance, Vance doesn't do a lot of horror, or a lot of dark like this. So it's like a Vancean. It's like Martin decided I'll t- I'll make a Vancean world and make a horror story set on a Vancean planet, and here we go, and here we have Sand Kings. Mm-hmm. Which is which is an interesting fusion of genres, and given given his later uh, work, Beauty and the Beast, The Song of Ice and Fire, he does like to take different genres and stick them together and come up with something new and different. And I could see how in 1979 that the the uh, science fiction community would go gaga for it because it's not a lot something that's been really done that much at that point. So it's like, hey, this is new, fresh, and exciting. I mean, because I mean. How many awards does this thing win? Um, let's see. It won the Hugo Award, yeah. the Nebula Award, the Locus Award. It was nominated for a Balrog Award. So it's like it won everything. It, it, it yeah, it hit the triple crown and yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it it cemented his reputation at the time, which then after a while went into decline until he did Beauty and the Beast, and then that went to decline again until he hit the gigantic big time of A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. But this is was this is uh, the salad salad days of writing excellent short fiction and fusing yeah. expl- you know, these genres together. For sure, for sure. And he's done other SF horror hybrid stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like Night Night Flyers. Night, Fly- um, Night Flyers. That's oh, also yeah, but one of the other uh, this universe apparently. Yeah, I think so too. Um, one of yeah. the th- other things that he said in his introduction is he wrote three stories really close together. In 1978-1979, and this is the one that he thought was the weakest. Wow! And it's funny how you know authors are, you know, uh, you know can't judge the success of, of what they write. You know, because Sand Kings is probably his most famous story until A Song of Ice and Fire, obviously. Right. But so he wrote The Way of Cross and Dragon, and. I saw, uh, I saw- a song for the uh, dying of the light. Yeah, and the, the ice dragon, the ice dragon, the way of cross and dragon, and sand kings were the three stories he wrote right together. And he said he felt the way of cross and or the ice dragon was going to knock people's socks off, hmm. and uh, the way of cross and dragon was damn good too. Might even win some awards. And sand kings was not bad at all. Not near as strong as the other two. Hmm. And and uh, sand kings won all the awards. Um, I remember Harn Nelson saying something similar. Um, in one of his audio collections as an introduction, he said that, uh, I think it was a story Grail. He, he said right. that uh, he thought Grail was going to be huge and just, you know, really amazing and everybody would love it. And then instead, you know, a story that he wrote in an evening, you know, like, uh, I have no mouth and I must scream, mm-hmm. just wins all the awards and is reprinted like mad. Yeah, I mean, it's that's hard got, to predict. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I have no mouth. I must, must be one, one of the most reprinted SF source stories ever. So yeah, there you go. And this one too, Sand yeah. Kings as well. It's everywhere. I I, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know much about George R. R. Martin's, you know, growing up, but uh, maybe it's in that Dream Songs introduction. Um, did he know Nancy Cress? Did they go like to the same writing school or something? Because the main characters here is na- name is Cress. They're yeah, contemporaries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I, she had published by then. I, I, I like. What is he saying? <laughs> if <laughs> because a lot of the other know. names are are like that. Like um, I was thinking about why the Shambler's called the Shambler because there's, there's, as far as I know, nobody's ever used that as you know, <laughs> again the actual yeah. creature. But there, there there's a uh, Clark Ashton Smith story I think called the Shambler from the. Oh no, it's Robert Block, uh, Shambler oh, cool. from the Stars, which is a yeah. you know H.P. Lovecraft inspired story written while Lovecraft is still alive. Oh, yeah. there's there's no doubt that uh, Martin would have come across that. Yeah. Because he was, uh, you know, he mentions Lovecraft and uh, Tolkien as as inspiration. <laughs> Tolkien's right back in his in name. The, back in the seventies, yeah. So, but yeah, Lovecraft is definitely part of the stuff that he admired. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it, it's it's interesting because it it is it feels like a story written by somebody who's read the genre you know it's not Mm -hmm. it's not quite from the outsider also feels very stephen king like except for the fact that it's set in such a science fictional universe yeah yeah i don't disagree with that at all it's just the way that he writes the the clarity with which he writes super clear and and you can feel it like just in that opening it's also at the closing but in the opening um or and the, the party scenes where one character will say something um it's like he wasn't interested in that and then the next line is he became interested as soon as the other character you know uh says something uh he says he says oh insects um he says they're not insects and then it goes back to hmm said (laughs) said crest hmm (laughs) Hmm. as he stepped closer so it is a uh it is the kind of clarity of writing that uh, makes people, I think, eat up George R. R. Martin's text. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just. Super, I think so too. Super. But the idea yeah, and uh, yeah, the stories are good. You know, a song of, a song of a song for Leah. That's a fairly deep story, I mm-hmm. thought. And then um, Night Flyers is another one like this one. Just it's a I horror story. As well. It's like a ghost story on a yep. spaceship. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a movie version yeah. of that as well. There is a song for Leo. Uh, no, uh, no, Night, Night Flyers. Flyers. Oh, Night Flyers. Sorry, so say okay, yeah. There's a movie version. There's a TV movie of that. Yeah, stories huh. with Michael Prayed, the guy who played Robin, <clears throat> Robin Hood on Robin of Sherwood. I don't think I've seen that. It's creepy. <laughs> and uh, kind of. Uh, I want to say I was going to say cyberpunk, but that's not the right kind of punk. I don't know space punk. Or, uh, yeah, it's 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 dark. Gothic yeah. goth punk. Is there such a thing? <laughs> goth punk. They, um, one thing I want to know is you're talking about the going in the back and the forth and now cross talk. There's some little, little bits of dark, very dark humor in this. Like mm. after, like after he kills Kate, like suddenly Chris had another inspiration. He smiled and lowered his. 
his uh, lyring hand. Case was always hard to swallow, he said, delighted at his wit, especially for one your size. Here, let me give you some help. What are gods for, after all? He retreated <laughs> upstairs, returning shortly with a cleaver. The Sand King's patient waited and watched all crest chop Case McLean into small, easily digestible pieces. Yeah. Like, that's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> that, that that's very you know, almost like Poe like and it's uh Yeah. Yeah, in yeah. fact uh, Woe and Poe go together, don't they, now that you They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Did you guys get a chance to look at the uh the comic book adaptation? I did not. Okay. I did not either. I don't have a way to open it. I've only me. found it uh I, I oh, it's uh it's a CBR format in the one I sent uh-huh. you. So you can uh sort of right click on it or change the name of the file to dot zip. And it should open up. Did you send that? Oh, Oh, there you are. Oh, there you are. I did not see that. Let me look at that now. It's on the comic. uh, It uses the C display comic reading format. It's just a bunch of scans, and it's quite, it's quite well done. Um, Very uh, Poe-like in its in its execution, and it's faithful too. The only difference is, and I'm not even sure that it's mentioned. Maybe it is. Um, the gender of Woe is female. Um, other than that, it's mm. pretty darn close. I quite like the style. I'm, um, I'm not. Uh, I don't think I read it at the time. I've seen. I'd seen it for sale, and maybe I had read it, but very nice art and nice color. It's one of a set of. This is actually the last um, science fiction special that DC Comics did in hmm. sort of a larger mm-hmm. format science fiction graphic novel this is volume 7 it came out in 1987 and other ones in the series include uh, uh, Alfred Bester's um, Stars My Destination I think yeah And I was just making sure sorry um, yep. Woe is female in the story okay. I thought she was Yeah. it's very so subtle I just verified it <laughs> okay yeah I, I was I, I was like I'm not even sure I, I couldn't even I was remember. like yeah for some reason I was I was thinking she was female and yeah so but she is <clears throat> interesting says can I help you she seemed yeah. to almost have risen from the fog yes tall and gaunt and pale she wore a practical gray jumpsuit and a strange little cap that rested well on the back of her head so it's, it, it seems incredibly faithful then <laughs> yeah cool I, I do. I'm, I'm looking at this now. It, it's a gorgeous comic book. Yeah, it's I, it's, really, and it's really, nice and long too. It gives the exact length with which you would. It, you know, it it does everything that the story does basically. You get the party. You get the 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 um, the horror of the things crawling around the house like that. That scene or that part of the story where they've escaped, right? Um, and he's he's emptying the refrigerator and the freezer, um, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and he says, "Well, that that'll satisfy them for now." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, how and do you know what they about want? That. I mean, well, yeah, they're this, telling this, us. Yeah. And then he has to call his friends, and you you say, "Oh, oh no, he's not calling his friends for that reason, <laughs> is he?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. When I was listening to the story, I was wondering, "Oh crap, is he going to feed his friends this, to these things?" <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, he, had, because he yeah. really has no morals whatsoever. No morals at all. No. There's a there's a, a short story. Um, I'm pretty sure I did it for reading short and deep. That has almost the exact same um, sequence. Uh, I want to remember the name of it, but it, it's a um, 
it's not a short story, it's a uh, folk tale where there's this evil sorcerer guy and he comes, what, what happens is he comes to your house and he knocks on the door and the first uh, young woman who answers is instantly captivated by him and she is taken by him to his home where once he gets there, he says, now we're married <laughs> or something like that. Sure. And here is a uh, an egg. You hold this egg and here's a set of keys for the entire house. But don't go into the littlest room with this littlest key. Now I have to go out, dear. It's kind that's, of... That's, <laughs> it's a Bluebeard it's story. It's a Bluebeard-like story, right? So he then... Oh, I, uh, I'm trying to... Vogelsang. No, it's a, it's a uh, Fitcher's Bird. That's the name of the story. This adaptation. So, or this version of this folktale. So he goes out um, and he gets two more of the sisters from the same house, and the pattern repeats. And what we find out is that uh, the young women, um, of course, go immediately to the smallest room and open it up. And inside they find a basically a bathtub with uh, young women cut up inside the bathtub. And while they're holding the egg, they drop the egg because they're so upset by what they see. Um, and then when he returns and the egg is missing or colored red or whatever the story is, um, he says, aha, you've betrayed me and now you get to end up in the bathtub too. And he chops them up. Right? This happens three times. Um, in the same household, all three uh, young women, I guess children of whoever owns the house, do this. And he, on the third time, uh, the young woman has the wherewithal to like put the egg down before she goes into the room. Like, instead of carrying it in her hand, right? Um, mm-hmm. She puts it down, opens the door, and then she sees her sisters chopped up in the, in the bathtub. And she sews them back together puts the egg, goes back out, uh, puts the egg in her pocket, takes the bodies up to uh, some attic, and um, and they come back to life. And then, when the husband returns, this evil sorcerer guy, the Bluebeard character, he says, um, oh, you have passed my test, right? You didn't go in the little room. Um, I can trust you. We shall be married. And then, for the wedding ceremony... Um, she writes to her parents and says, please come to the wedding ceremony, but secretly um, there's something you need to know. This guy's a monster. And so she she has the family uh, come, and once all the guests arrive, they bolt up the doors, she leaves with her sisters, and they burn the house down. So all the friends mm. of the wiz- the evil wizard are consumed in the fire. Uh-huh. And mm. it's kind of the same as what happens here, right? All these dilettantes who come to the party, uh, the first party, and they start betting on it, come back for subsequent parties because they don't say anything, you know, they don't, they don't choose to disassociate themselves with him, so they're all punished too. It's a very wow. uh, Edgar Allan Poe sort of ending there, isn't it? Uh huh. I just sure I, I think that it's 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 working on that level. It's working on the level of a folk tale rather than on the level of uh, you know here's how the science on this works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the same level that Martin's working on, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. as far as his psychological stuff, this, I mean, story, there's not 100%. a whole lot of science fiction detail, yeah. Yeah. and, and He's not, like, writing hard science fiction. No, but he loves the macabre, too, like, just how it, it works in A Song of Ice and Fire, right? <laughs> just mm-hmm. when you think it's 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 pretty much, that's the most horrible story I've ever heard. He says, oh, you think that's horrible? Let me tell you this one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, staring into the abyss and so, sort of liking what you see. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Cool. What do you What do you make of the um, the Sand Kings worshiping with the face? Are they just animals at first? Because they they get smarter, right? The maw. Yeah, it, it actually smarter. says that they get they get smarter as they grow because they have this kind of a psionic thing going on right. so there's some telepathy happening you know where they're learning um but yeah it, i i found it fascinating because you know at the beginning he is you know the faces that they put on there are you know smiling faces but as they're reacting to how they're being treated and mm. with the psionics they can kind of see his soul mm. you know and uh, it gets darker and darker as the story goes on. Yeah, and then they, it, make, they, they make him into a satanic fake figure on the, on the right. uh, imagery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know. I know. Before the podcast, we were talking about video games. So there's a video game that this kind of reminds me of. Have either of you ever played Populous? Oh yeah, oh yeah, long time ago. That's a great when it's the first isometric game I I think I remember ever playing. Where you're looking at it from a three quarters angle, it's it's basically it's like uh, Sim City except earlier. It, it, it's it's Sim City where you play the god, yeah, 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 you, where you play the god and try to raise up your or civilization them. or punish them and deal with uh, you know spread your worship to other uh, regions where there are other people with other gods. That's so right. I, 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 I was just re-listening to this like so. So populous is really this, except with people. That's yeah. cute. Yeah. So you see, but because he, he because he is basically trying to engineer them into warring each other. He punishes them when he gets capricious. He go, he goes old test. Uh, he goes old old testament on them, and they rebel against him in the end. Um, what's it? Okay, now I got I got to think for a moment. There's a story I can't remember the name of it offhand that this is reminding me of too. Uh I, uh, I, uh, I got the same sort of feeling um, in uh, in Populous when you saw Oh, of, I got it. Okay. I got it. It's um, Lester Del Rey is For I Am a Jealous People. Have either of you ever read uh, that one? That hmm. sounds familiar, but no, I don't uh, – not recently. No, I don't think I have. Okay. Um, <clears throat> for I Am a Jealous People is set in a strange future where God has – God is real and God has decided to turn his back on humanity and is now backing aliens who are trying to attack and uh. conquer the earth. And the humans are upset about this and they're fighting back against the aliens and basically the point of the point is, okay, so yeah – oh, yeah, so you so – you, so your God's against us? Great. We'll take him down after we take out these uh. aliens sort of like – yeah, so you – you want to go Old Testament on us? We'll get Old Testament on you, sort of. Uh, not really atheism. It's just like, um, if God is antagonistic against us, then we're, well, we'll be antagonistic against God, sort of weird story. And mm. I'm, I'm, I'm betting Martin read that, too, and that went into a little bit of the splendor for Sand Kings. 
he was definitely a fan of science fiction and had read a lot, no doubt. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I got that, you know, mm-hmm. for people who haven't played Populous, Scott, you, you played SimCity. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. You played SimCity, though, right? SimCity, yes. Okay, SimCity, so yep. Civilization. Sometimes uh, there's this feeling you get, and civiliza- Civilization is similar, too, but you, you get it especially in SimCity because it's not... What's interesting about SimCity as opposed to Civilization is Civilization you can win, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you at least in some scenarios you you know you reach yeah. space or whatever. Space conquest, whatever whatnot. whatever the goal conditions are, right? Um, mm-hmm. In uh, SimCity, I'm sure there were some scenarios where that was true too. You, you know, there were some victory conditions or something. However, um, that's not really the point of the game. The, the point of the game is to build and uh, maintain and you know make a beautiful city and make it efficient make it so the people are happy right um, mm-hmm. but there's this sort of perversity like if it, this is one of those games where you know they have the cheat codes so you could just have, give yourself unlimited funds or whatever yep and there's some perverse part of our nature at least my nature and really everybody's um, that gets <laughs> delight from building up a city right? And then just mm-hmm. seeing it go to shit. Like, you just suddenly cut off funds, right? And then so the electrical lines stop working. Then fires start, and you don't have enough police stations or fire departments. And, you know, you just randomly destroy a building at an earthquake. And they had this all built into the game, so you could have, like, these disasters either happen randomly or, you know, you could impose them on your city. And so, uh, You could say, oh, I'm just doing it for testing purposes. But really, it's kind of a delight in you know building up these sandcastles essentially and then mm-hmm. smashing them right Smash, it's not even smashing other people's it's smashing your own and mm. and that I think he's really uh, Martin's the reason like why we look at this story and we say yeah it's a good story even though uh, nobody in it is likable I mean Woe is, I guess, the closest, or the Shambler is the closest thing to a likable character <laughs> in, the, in the whole thing, right? And mm-hmm. yet we we resonate with it because I think having that perverse nature within us to, uh, you know, sort of want to see destruction just to feel powerful, right? It's much easier to to destroy than it is to create, right? You're building that house of cards. Uh, on your lunch break and somebody comes in and shakes the table right Mm -hmm. so easy to do so hard to build takes hours (laughs) to build and then you know destroyed in a moment a moment to destroy yeah right and then i think he's really um he's saying something along those lines but i also and this really has nothing to do with uh i mean it's 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 poe but it it makes me think um, just there's a connection because it's such a famous story. Do you know the poem The Conqueror Worm by Edgar Allan Poe? Um, I think you introduced me to it a long time ago, okay. but uh, you'll have to remind me about it. Paul, you know what? I've got it here. Not not immediately. Oh, it's I wonderful. To... Um, I'll read it to oh. you. Oh, I found it. Go ahead, read. The Conqueror Worm by Edgar Allan Poe. Lo, hello, tis a gala night within the lonesome latter years, an angel throng bewinged bedight in veils and drowned in tears, sit in a theater to see a play of hopes and fears, 
while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. So in this, we've got a party, essentially, or a theater. And what is the orchestra playing? The sound of the cosmos, right? Next, mm. next stanza. Mimes in the form of God on high mutter and mumble low, and hither and thither fly, mere puppets they who come and go, at bidding of vast formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings, invisible woe, and spelled W O. Um, now. Wow. What's yeah. what what's so cool about this is when you start breaking down what's going on in each of these sentence stanzas, right? Is that you realize the mimes in forms of God on high are humans, right? We take the shape mm-hmm. of God. What happens at the end of this story? He sees the children, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and whose yeah. face do they have? His the form the of, face God of God on high, right? <laughs> and then next stanza, the motley drama. Oh, be sure it shall not be forgot, with its phantom chased forevermore by a crowd that sees it not, through a circle that ever returneth in to the self same spot, and much of madness and more of sin and horror, the soul of the plot. Best line in in this beautiful sentence stanza is by a crowd that sees it not. And sees is spelled S-E-I-Z-E. Oh, so, so, so it doesn't take it. Can't, can't grasp it, right? That's, I guess it's a phantom, it's a ghost. Yes. Next stanza. But see amid the mimic rout, a crawling shape intrude, a blood-red thing that rise from out the scenic solitude. It writhes, it writhes with mortal pangs. The mimes become its food. And seraph sob at vermin fangs, in human gore imbued. Mm. That's kind of our story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Out, yeah. Yeah, it is. out yeah. are the lights, out all, and each over each quivering form, the curtain, a funeral pall, comes down with the rush of a storm, while the angels, all pallid and wan, uprising, unveil, affirm, the play is the tragedy, man. And its hero, the Conqueror Worm. Oh my! Name of the play is Mankind. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, yeah. I love Poe because he can do that. He sort of he. It's a science fiction story almost, right? You've got these angels yeah. looking down from heaven, watching this this tragedy. What is the Conqueror Worm? There's no one answer, right? It's death. It's it's a coffin worm. It's uh, the um, Sand Kings, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. no one answer. It's it's whatever you can see in it. He's so good at this. And uh, Poe and Woe are right in it. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <clears throat> That's cool. Wasn't there a, a Hellboy comic called Conqueror Worm? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I've read. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Uh, I've read uh, quite a few of those, um, but not the. Uh, it was something related to the Hellboy universe. Um, uh, BPRD, I think, is what it was, mm. which is um, Bureau of Param- Paranormal Paranormal Investigations or something like that. And it, yep, Hell- Hellboy Conqueror Worm was a mini series of yeah uh, involving a Nazi space capsule. <laughs> Sweet. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the great art in there too. Very, very dark and very inspired by uh, by Poe. Hmm. So, although this is a relatively "quote unquote" shallow story by your standards, Jesse, did you like it? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean it, it, it's it's relatively what it is on the tin. It's yep. not it's not something we could endlessly talk hours about the symbology. No, it's, it, symbology it is the it is the the experience is the experience of it, right? And so. Um, <laughs> it's uh, we used to do, and we don't do it a lot on this podcast. Um, we would put out an audiobook, and there would be no read along. You know, like just has an audiobook, mm-hmm. and then there's no discussion. The next episode is just just a, another show. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason that doesn't happen is because I uh, usually I find some story and I'm like, what does this mean? I know exactly <laughs> what this one means. <laughs> it's yeah. right on the tin, as you say. So. I, 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 it's I, been fun to explore the the uh, things that inspired it, and totally fun yeah. to revisit the the story itself. Really, um, yeah. I, I I probably should have looked at the Dream Songs version. I just went with the the one I had. Is the narrator different in the Dream Songs version? Um, I think so. Yeah, the Dream Songs audio version. Um, yeah, I have that, and I listen to it as well. It's. I can't remember who the narrator is. That's but he's much more really available, good. I'm sure, than than yeah. the out of print uh, one that will never come back. Well, maybe maybe it's on. Yeah. So there's uh, there's two uh, hard copy volumes. He's got Dream Songs Volume One and Volume Two, and then on audio, if you go to Audible, there's Dream Songs Volume One, Two, and Three. Mm-hmm. So there's actually three audiobooks, and I believe this one is in Volume Two on the audio. Sand Kings. Yeah. Uh, one one last little query here. Uh, what do you think of the name of the monster, Mom? <laughs> Ma. <laughs> What's he uh, saying? Yeah. <laughs> she gives the Ma she gives pap right. She gives pap uh, to her her children, or but they're not yep. really children. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. And then she. Her, her mouth, right, is the maw. It's it's mm-hmm. like the pit of sarlacc or something, you know. Very, yeah, um, yeah. very creepy. Very, very creepy. Very, very creepy. evocative. For sure. I mean, I mean the the language in the story. I mean, it's it's Martin at his best. Um, really, just drawing you into the into the narrator's plight, even though you can't really stand him. You feel you feel it. It's like. The hills were dry and rocky. Cress ran from the house as quickly as he could, ran till his ribs ached and his bread was coming in gasps. Then he walked, but as soon as he recovered, he began to run again. For almost an hour, he ran and walked, ran and walked beneath the fierce hot sun. He sweated freely and wished he had thought to bring some water. He watched the sky in hopes of seeing woe and shade. I mean, you can, you're just there on that desolate, just going, him going out trying to escape his fate. And, of course, it all turns out to be he went the wrong way and... He goes back to his doom. It's mm. just, it's just really, uh, oh, really, uh, draws you. I, I mean, I, I mean, I should say sympathize with the character, but I, I felt the character's actions, even if I thought he was a horrible human being, yeah. and that's, that's not an easy trick to pull off. And Martin pulls yeah, it off. Yeah, it's, it's very Stephen King like, isn't it? Yes, it's the same effect. A, I'm looking at the comic book version on page 22. Um, it's, it's. It's one of the other scenes. It's super effective, I think. 
Um, he so first the avalanche buried her. So that's where he stabs the woman with the sword. At the, you know she invi- he invites her over and then he stabs her with the sword and she's still alive, right? And then mm. he, he you know he's so upset he flees to his car and then flies to the nearby city, right, in his flying car and has food in like a restaurant everything's normal and then oh gotta go home <laughs> right to the <laughs> horror that he's just like when they've escaped they've escaped from the uh from their their home i don't like i was uh, what's interesting is in the uh adaptation they're really really worried about contaminating the earth right yeah um yeah. here you know they say something about you know briber you know you just have to bribe the officials enough and everything's fine which is scary but i don't get the sense that the universe is going to be destroyed by the sand kings escaping from his house i think it's his life is sort of his his home his personal property like it's a personal Why disaster. Why does he flee the planet? A, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, 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 I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, we're. Let me go back to the beginning of the story. Where are, where are we? Um. I mean, he he had ma- he had made it clear that he'd come to this planet and not. So it's like, why doesn't he just leave the planet? Because you know. Yeah, the very first line is Simon Crest lived alone in a sprawling manor house among the dry rocky hills, fifty kilometers from the city. It's kind of a fall. So of when the he house was called away unexpectedly right? on yeah, when he was called away unexpectedly on business, he had no neighbors he could conveniently impose on to take his pets, and no yeah, servants so, he's willing to yeah. or who will work for him. Maybe they can't stomach it. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it is a really interesting um, sort of indictment of the the whole pet ownership process right this is something no matter how many years go by there's always a story in the news about somebody who's who has some pets or animals and they just don't take care of them you know Mm, yeah and and when it happens to humans we're like you know this is the worst thing we've heard this year right Mm -hmm. when it happens to animals it's just another news story oh i don't know about that I don't know about that. It, it seems you know, to happen. There, there was a, there was a, a story uh, here. It's a really tragic story, but um, there was a uh, uh, sheriff's deputy who left his German Shepherd in the in the car mm-hmm. in the summertime, mm-hmm. and the poor thing died. Yep, that was a very big deal. <laughs> you know, around here it was. You know, yeah, and it happens around here all the time. <laughs> Right, I mean, mm-hmm. in the sense that they they talk about this, they also say it about babies, right? Don't leave your baby in, yeah, which is yeah, crazy sure. as well. But the fact that yeah. you know we have the SPCA or the RSPCA um, always mm-hmm. always having to deal with this sort of you know thing is it it's it's I think it goes right back to that scene that Martin experienced himself, where in between watching horror movies. Uh, they'd watch a goldfish being eaten by piranhas. Yeah, yeah. And the piranhas are right in the story, so it's uh, there's a there is a perversity in in sort of pet ownership for the 
the exoticness of it. Mm. And and yeah. and you know what's funny is I felt that same perversity while watching the adaptation, the 1995 adaptation. Mm-hmm. What is what does the father do? The Lloyd Bridges character, uh, the grandfather, I guess. Yeah. He comes to the house and he hands the boy a puppy, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. This this really steps. This happens quick. all the time, and this is what I'm talking about, Scott. Is that people uh, buy pets on impulse, right? Yeah. yeah. You have to, and they should not. Of right. course, just <laughs> like having a kid, you don't just have yep. them on impulse. They're very. <laughs> very much of, about responsibility and if you yeah. if you uh if you think about how how like how badly i was gonna say how badly aged the show is um i guess that's some slight cultural changes that people would be a little more upset about that but what does the what does the grandfather say he says i saw him in the window and i couldn't resist right mm-hmm. the grandfather is essentially doing what what uh Cress is doing in the story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's just yeah. buying this animal on whim. And of course, <laughs> I guess the dog is the shambler <laughs> because he ends up getting <laughs> eaten right by the uh Yeah. Yeah, it's by pretty, the sand king. It's pretty uh yeah. it's pretty brutal. Yeah, but but this but yeah, but the adaptation adds that extra Extra, extra drama. So, what does the grandfather suggest to his grandson? He named the dog. Oh, right. Cowboy. Yeah. Which was the name of, of uh, Bridge, of Simon's brother's dogs. Right. Like, there's a nice little knife in there. There's a lovely father-son <laughs> dynamic there. It's like, yeah, wow. why don't you name this, mm. name the dog after your, bro- the your dead brother that I like better's dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, I, I mean. I mean, it's nowhere in the story any of this family drama, but mm. it was it was effective inside the teleplay itself. It's yeah. Like she, the the, right, the writer, Linda Snodgrass, really wanted to display this dysfunctional family, and she did. Yeah. Mm. And it, it's interesting too because where does he go wrong exactly? Right. He's pa- so this is this is the actually the argument right out of Frankenstein. Um, is what where does Frankenstein go wrong? Right. Is it in, in, in wanting to know, wanting to stop uh, death? Because that's really what he, his motivation is. Is he wants mm-hmm. to stop death. His mom dies. He wants that to stop. He wants to, people never to have to die. And he seems to think he's, he's possibly found a way to make that happen in a certain sense. But when it comes to why does the, why does the creature, the nameless creature... Uh, go on the rampage that it does it's because of a lack of love and care and attention right it was the yeah frankenstein rejected his creation right and he says like i can't deal with this right now which is kind of what's going on in in the story uh proper novelette but also that's much more magnified in in the television show because Uh of the fact that he's got a family and these, it's not just the Shambler and the, the carrion hawk that need to be taken care of. It's his wife, right, who he doesn't pay enough attention to, and his yeah. son who just wants to hang out with him, right? And mm-hmm. the, and the, the the ultimately, like the 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 trauma of this family might be traceable back to the to that Lloyd Bridges grandfather, right? And that what happened to the original cowboy? Didn't he say they he got he ran got run over? 
He got run over. Right. Again, mm. not uh, the. You know, he says it's your dog. <laughs> he said, "No, that was my <laughs> brother's dog." Right. That this sense that um, there's not enough care and attention from this father figure is is in in both Frankenstein and and the adaptation, and it's it's here in the in the novelette, but it's not so much as a father figure as a godlike figure, right? Yeah. yeah. Very very um, very sort of um, iconic. I guess that's why. Sa- Sam King's is such a good story and recognized as such, is that he's really mm-hmm. dealing with something real, even though everything's you know set in a fictional world with no science in it at all, other than you know sort of general flying cars yeah. and yeah flying flying cars and alien creatures and set on mm-hmm. a distant planet. Otherwise, this is a horror story, mm-hmm. right? And that's fine. Yeah, and, and horror stories only work if it's if there is that reality there. I think you're right. There. I think you're right. right. I was watching yep. a terrible, terrible. Uh, movie on Netflix and you know look really well filmed and you know nice acting and all that stuff and they're like oh it's one of these kind of movies where it's just everything is creepy and and everything's jump scares and I'm like I can't I'm not gonna even bother finishing this is so 10 15 minutes in is like now no way this this is gonna be a good movie when when uh, you know putting in your um, when when the character's putting in his uh, contact lenses and it you know, it goes. <laughs> Why do you need to have that sound effect there? And then he's he's brushing his teeth, and his mom suddenly appears in the mirror behind him, and it, and he goes, music goes, oh, like what? Okay, so we're operating on that level, right? Why is this house haunted? Because we're making a haunted house movie, not because we have some, yeah. right? Right, right. And it, it, what they're doing is they're they're doing that mimic mimic uh, mimesis thing where they're copying other successful films, right, and techniques that are employed by, you know, people who know what they're doing <laughs> and saying, yep, mm-hmm. that's all we need. Um, right, here, right. it's the opposite. Yeah. He starts with the, the genuine feeling and then builds up the story so that when we get to that great last line, they had his face, right, <laughs> we feel like yes, of course, it come up and s- in his own image. Mm-hmm. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Ruin has come <clears throat> to our family. You remember our venerable house. Opulent and imperial, gazing proudly from its stoic perch above the moor. <laughs> I lived all my years in that ancient rumor shattered manor. Oh, quite hard to say, actually. Lovely, yeah. <laughs> what is what is the darkest dungeon? It's the game that uh, Wayne June narrates. Oh, it's really good. Uh, it's cool. too hard for me, but uh, mm-hmm. it's good. Um, cool. Really well written. Um, <clears throat> very uh, super Lovecraftian. Excellent. Yes, it's like a dungeon crawler with uh, characters you you co- collect and generate and all that stuff. I don't know. Uh-huh. Higher. Yeah, higher, I guess. And then 
apparently, uh, I watched the spoiler ending, and um, it's like, wow, that's actually really good writing. They're very clever. The guy. I've not gotten to the ending. Ooh, it's don't, good. Don't, 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 don't tell me about it. Don't it's too hard. That's I, why I'm, I'm like. I'm I know it is, it is. It is not an easy and game. And it's a time sink too. It's like, you know, I spend a lot of time playing computer games, but they're uh, they're not. Um, the, 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 not the, I mean, you're not playing play unknown battlegrounds for hours on end. Oh, I am. Or maybe you are. Oh, oh, you, oh, but the I, difference I is, correct it. yeah, I I, I play for a couple hours with my friends, you know, and that's not the same as sitting in front of the computer hunched over till three o'clock in the morning playing a dungeon crawl by yourself. True. Oh, that's cool. So the, it's a PC game. Yeah, it's also yeah, on, on uh, all the on other Steam, consoles now. Like. Yep. It's on other consoles too. It's on everything now. I think it's even on Vita or something. Yeah. Hmm. yeah it's been out. Oh, coming soon years. to Xbox. It says. Oh, it's probably four ninety nine at Apple, so you can play it on your phone. I. It's very low res, or not low res. It's it's low intensity usage. So yeah, you could probably play it on your phone. The important part is Wing Jun narrates it, and it's very mm-hmm. well done. It's a very good game. Cool. Um. Art's it's a challenging game. gothic roguelike turn-based RPG. <laughs> How many more adjectives can you get in there? Well, rogue is but the, the psychological stresses but, of adventuring. <laughs> but they are all accurate. Yeah, all, yeah, the, cool. all those adjectives actually actually point to a feature of the game nice. that is accurate. Nice. In, in I'm, fact, I'm definitely going to try that. You know, you know, That's like cool. I can uh, lend you my <clears throat> Steam account if you want. I have a Steam account. Oh well, then never mind. Yeah, thank you. I don't think it'll be free over that. It's no. twenty five bucks looks like, but that's all right. Yeah, it's it's well worth um let's wait for a sale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Making sales cool. one one person at a time. It's been a long time since I played a video game, so that'd be good. 